Well, it's nice to see everybody here, and I literally mean see everybody <laughs> out on the road. It reminds me of growing up. We had fog like this regularly in the wintertime. Must be that global warming thing that made it uh, <clears throat> less than what it was. And now we have, oh my goodness, global warming again. <laughs> no, not really. Though I'm thankful that the Lord is in control of all things going on. Turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we're in chapter two, and when we left off last week, we were talking about the character of of the missionary, uh, the mission, mi the ministry that uh, the apostle Paul and Silas had in, in Thessalonian in Thessalonica, and we started talking about their their motives, and it's it's important to realize that the Apostle Paul trusted God in everything that they were doing. And as we look through this, we want to, uh, we're looking at verses 3 through 6, uh, that their trust and how they presented their, their ministry is important for anybody that is sharing the gospel, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching... Uh, preaching behind the pulpit it's important to understand what what their what the motives are for that so starting with verse 3 it says for our exhortation was not of deceit nor uncleanliness nor in guile but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God which trieth our hearts for neither at any time use we flattering words as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you again. Thank you that we can look into your word and see these examples that the Apostle Paul has laid out before us. And we can trust your word. And Father, that we see the motives that these men were bringing to each of the churches that they established. And Father, I thank you for each one that preaches the gospel here realizes the motives need to be true. They need to be from a heart that loves you and wants to do your will, not to do their own. And Father, as we look through this, I pray that uh, we will understand a little clearer how important it is that our motives be pure before you and that we not be deceitful before people. We're seeing that today in many arenas of churches. We're seeing it in a variety of other ways in our politics, in our daily lives, as we deal with people. But Father, I pray that as Christians that we will have the right motives in how we do business that we will be God honoring in everything that we do we want to glorify you in all that's done and we ask this in Jesus precious name amen and like I mentioned the, the missionaries trusted God completely the apostle Paul uh, 
now that he uh, knows what his mission is, is to the Gentiles, yet he still goes to the synagogues to, to bring the gospel to them as well as to, to the rest. They're appealing to, to the Thessalonians that the belief in the gospel is honest. It's not one of deceit. It's not one of any self-seeking uh, uh, motives. Yet today we can see some churches and what do we hear? You know, when certain men publish their book, they promote themselves. And sure, in, in there, they're trying to expound on the Lord, about the Lord, about the gospel and uh, living lives. But what do they focus on? This is the book that I wrote. And they'll put their name on it. Or uh, maybe they'll do, oh, they'll do a study Bible. And guess whose name gets put there? And, you know, you think of folks like that. And you know that, okay, they want to get that word out. But what's it really doing when somebody looks at that? And they see, well, he's self-promoting himself. But when we, when we think about, in the, in the verse 3 here, it says their exhortation was not, of, uh, was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile. And it, it's, they were exhorting him to embrace the gospel. And it's, uh, it's wonderful when we can expound out of the Bible. And I've heard lots of terms and how people expound when they add their extra words in there. Or maybe they expound on something that's really not in there, just, just their philosophy. And it's okay maybe when, when somebody stands up and says, this is how I understand this, and I'm presenting it from my point of view, and I'll let you take, uh, take an opportunity to um, maybe tell me how you feel about it. And that's oftentimes what preaching is. When somebody reads the Word, the Lord has laid a certain message on their heart and that's how they present it from their point of view knowing that okay lord please let me focus so that it will be helpful but then there's others out there that are self-promoting and how they present things you know the, the it's the, the i guess it's the type of, of of speaker some are very charismatic and they can present a little bit of the word and then water it down and next thing you know they're, you're being drawn into their, their thoughts. And, and we've talked about many of those false philosophies uh, in church here. But they wanted to, to, the Apostle Paul was presenting his ministry in such a way that is not to um, use trickery. Like it, it talks about deceit here. It says, uh, they knew that his preaching was, was such that it was without error. And he, you know, being a, uh, a man that understood uh, the law, he probably referred to verses uh, like in Psalms 101.7. He says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. God doesn't like people that are bending his word or trying to make God's word their word and you know Proverbs says in uh, 12:20 says deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil but to the counselors of peace is joy 
In other words, if somebody's bringing the truth of the word, then there's going to be joy. And those that bring about, well, errors in there, and, and we see that. The, the, you know, he talked about it in Romans uh, 3.13. This is a throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Or in Colossians 2.8 it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. When we find people teaching error, all of a sudden Christ is put aside. Man's philosophy is brought through. And we're seeing it all around us. You know, how many people see kids today in, in school reading their Bibles? How many colleges are, you know, they have their classes in religion. <laughs> and yeah, I roll my eyes too when I think about that. And I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't fall into needing to take any of those classes in the schools that I went to. Because I knew good and well that it was going to be full of errors. And well, in fact, uh, I did take some literature classes. And I had one professor that was, he was trying to teach on existentialism. And it was very interesting, a very good teacher. And uh, he brought up, uh, uh, told us what the meaning of existentialism. And he used Abraham getting ready to sacrifice Isaac as existential. And he said that if he had killed Isaac, it had been wrong. And if he did, he would have been disobeying God. And that's where he left it. I said, you want to finish the rest of the story? He went, what do you mean? I says, well, did he or didn't he sacrifice Isaac? He goes, well, he didn't. I says, so he was disobedient to God? Well, uh, I says, no. I says, God was, he was told not to and went through the rest of the story. And we went back and forth a little bit. I said, well, you brought the subject up, so let's carry it out. And I talked with him afterward, and he appreciated the presentation. And a lot of the other students in the class were, too. He says, you know, I never thought about it that way. Because I presented a, basically the clear gospel to him. That had he killed him, had he sacrificed him, like God told him to do, he was going to be raised from the dead. I said, really? I hadn't thought about it that way either. And I said, but what happened? Because he didn't. And he followed God's rule and said God thought him faithful. I said, he gave him a lamb. He went, yeah, I know. I, never. I said, so when you bring something up like that, tell the whole story. Don't just stop where you think you need to stop. He went, all right, I'll take that on. I, I felt kind of funny, you know, telling a professor how to teach his class. Because the next day I made, made his notes uh, as far as existentialism. I was clearly pointed out, barring my objections. <laughs> so I was like, I feel good. I made the man's notes. At least he listened. And that's important that when we speak the truth, that we give all of the truth. We don't stop short. And so there's no deceit when they're bringing, bringing forth the word. And, and I'd love that's what happens here. There's no deceit. Nobody's here to make themselves, uh, you know, the next uh, great author of books other than Brother Chris over here who writes the truth in his books. And I love them. If you've not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug him for a minute. If you've not read any of them, do. They will challenge you.
they bring you into the word. I love it. Thank you, Brother Chris. <laughs> but the other is nor of uncleanliness. And it's not to lead. And, and his whole idea here in uncleanliness is that when they were serving pagan gods or even the Judaizers, they led impure lives. Sadly, there's Christians today that live one life in church and another life outside of church. And it's so very sad that people think that they need to do that. I, well, I'm, you know, going to visit my church folks here, so I'm going to put on my best suit and, you know, carry my best big Bible that I can put under my arm and play the part. And then when they step out into the world, then they get to play the part of the world. I'm thankful for Christians that live their life without the horrible things of, of impure. I mean, I met people that said that they're Christians, and if you follow them, they're going to go into a bar, or they're going to go to a place they should not go, or they're going to tell lies, or they're going to, their dealings are not correct. They're, they're living a life that is not holy and pure. And the apostle was appealing to them that that's the type of life you need to live is a pure life. One that's, that's not living for the world. Because we talk here later about pleasing God and not men. And so it's, it's evident that the, 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 the pagan religions, they were filled with all sorts of uncleanliness. And they had prostitutes in these various temples. That's not what the Bible teaches. They are serving those idols. In Romans 1, 24 says, where God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And others in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have repented of the uncleanliness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. The Apostle Paul was, was stressing the importance of living a life that's honoring, that it's clean living, and one that, that's not going to um, basically bring a, a bad light on, on, on our Lord. And it's exact opposite from what the world wants. You know, nowadays we're saying, you know, everything that's uh, bad to them is good, and to good is evil. We know that we're living in latter times. And, and it's important for us as, as Christians that we live a life that's clean. Not only when we're around our Christian brothers and sisters, but when we're out in the world. Because we're a walking testimony. It also says, nor in guile. And the... It's identified as, you know, again, another version of deceit where they're pointing out that it's uh, um, one person had it called, uh, you know, um, craft and cunning were the ways of, of doing things where oftentimes people misconstrue them to where, you know, they think about shrewdness, you know, and, and mix that with cunning. And the, 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 the idea is that a person that's shrewd thinks about how to apply this in the right way. Where cunning is, I'm going to 
figure out how I can get around doing this properly. I used to used to laugh at, at, at people that would, um, well, in the military, that would cut corners in following procedures. And I used to train them to, the first few times, you have your procedure in your hand, follow through, because if you don't, you're going to break a piece of equipment very easily. If they miss out on one step, maybe they need to pre-oil something before they start it, and it might have been sitting for a while, and when they start it up, they get a lot more noise and can't understand why. And I see you forgot to pre-oil it. Or they forgot to do certain steps in there that, that created a, a problem. Like they didn't open the right valve at the right time. And next thing you know, they have an overpressure condition. <coughs> or maybe an underpressure condition. <clears throat> they were trying to cut corners. Or the other is in a casualty. I train people that <clears throat> the reason we wrote these procedures is so that you can put the ship in a, in a safe condition. If you don't, then you, you're, you're going to fail. And we walked through a lot of scenarios with people. And sometimes they'd miss a step. <coughs> Excuse me. Or when we would be in, in fire training, for instance, we would come up to a door. And a lot of people would uh, try to figure out, well, I'm just going to open this, this hatch. And well, he would stand on the hinge side. And the instructor pointed, you know, would, would grab the hatch and pull it open real quick and explain to them, well, because there's pressure on that side, you're now a pancake. Because some of the hatches weigh 300 pounds, and when you put a little bit of pressure on that surface area, guess what? It's going to move you. That's why you stand away from the hinge. You teach people like that. Shortcuts can kill people. Shortcuts can also kill people when you, when you forget parts of the gospel. When you try to shortcut the gospel. When you try to present it in such a way that it's, oh, you know, well, you don't have to do all of this stuff, but you do this. Now, when we walk through, we talk about faith and grace. We don't talk about, oh, yeah, well, by the way, also along with that, you got to do dot, 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 dot. No. It's very simple. Some people will say, well, that's too easy. You can't do that. But the whole idea of guile is that our we're not filled with lies. When we present things, it's not in, in such a way that it's going to mislead somebody. You know, and we need to be as honest as possible. So with, when you think of deceit and uncleanliness or in guile, I mean, you look, you look in uh, um, uh, John uh, 1.4, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. They were pointing that out, looking at Christ. How many times have we read in, in Scripture pointing to things of Christ where there was no guile? Or they pointed out uh, in, in Psalms 32.2, Blessed is the man uh, unto whom uh, the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Or 34.13, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. That's important in our lives that we when we present things yes we we plead with people oftentimes sharing the gospel but we don't bring in any cunning ideas you know there are people who go oh yeah you can win a soul by doing the following these steps every time you're going to win a soul and if you don't win a soul you're not doing it right there are people that, that actually say that when you present the gospel that person better get saved or you just failed and that's 
We don't know what that person's heart is. We present the gospel. We don't get them saved. God does the saving. And people that tell you that, well, yeah, you, you, you just weren't doing it right. Well, you present it the best way you know how. Let us think back on the first time that we ever presented the gospel. That was probably very embarrassing. I know it was for me. I stumbled and bumbled, and the person goes, you're doing your best to tell me about this. And tell me a little bit more. And that's the wonderful thing about somebody that the gospel, when it's presented, when it's presented from a heart that is willing to do right, even if we might not know all the scriptures that we should, but we go out there with the right heart attitude, knowing, Lord, lead me in this. Please direct me. Guess what? He's going to direct you. I know I've knocked on doors, and I was like, what can I say to this person? How do I, how, what am I supposed to present? Next thing you know, the Lord is just giving you the wisdom and direction. He may tell you, nope, you don't want to tell that person. You just might want to find out about them a little bit. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the next house that you're going to talk with. Or maybe the next time you run into that person, you say, okay, now spend a little bit more time with them on that. I mean, I've knocked doors, and all we did was find out who they were, where they were from, or what, you know, what they were doing, and never even broached the subject. Didn't feel led to. Some people let you know right off the bat. They don't want to hear about the gospel. Slam the door in your face. Or I like the ones that take the track, pull it back in real quick, and close the door, say thank you very much, and move on. Some of those people actually probably reading the track. My wife and I were laughing the other day. We went to get gas at the gas station. Gal was really nice. You know, I asked how her day was. She goes, I was doing great. You forgot my coffee, though. I went, what? Didn't think anything of it, filled it up with gas, and, and she said, now remember the next time you come is two creams and two sugars. So what did we do? We went right around the corner of McDonald's, got a coffee, brought it back to her. My wife's fishing through her purse real quick. Oh, here's a track, put it in. She was very surprised to see that cup of coffee delivered to her, wrapped in a track. As, as we were pulling out, my wife was catching her reading the track. So that... You don't know. Just, you know, something silly like that. You think, well, you know, that person just, you know. And she's thinking, man, I just tease the person, you know. Next thing you know, you're, you're sharing something with her. Didn't have to say anything. Here's a tract. Don't know what happens? Let's find out the next time we go, go get gas there. But it's important. We don't try to manipulate. That's the other thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul's trying to point out. I don't want to manipulate these people, but I want to tell them the truth. I'm not going to be... A liar. I'm not going to embellish things. I'm not going to, you know, be such a way that this person can catch me in a lie. Because we're entrusted, like it says in, in verse 4, for we are allowed, O God, to be put in trust with the gospel. That is so important. When we're saved, we're entrusted to share the gospel. And, I, and that's, that's a wonderful privilege that you know, when we, when we have trust in the gospel, the motives, we are attempting not to please the person we're presenting, but we're to pre please God. First Timothy 1, um, 11 and 12 says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which has committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Just think about that. 
When we get saved, that's a wonderful trust given to us. And that's a trust that we, at least I don't, I don't want to betray. And I know that when we stumble and fall, guess what? We get dusted off nicely. He says, hey, good job. Or eh, try it this way next time. That might be given to us in such a way that we realize that, you know, when we speak, we're doing it because we trust that the Holy Spirit's going to guide and direct us. And, and, you know, Peter and John, when, when they were uh, in Acts 4, it says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto, uh, unto you more than unto God, judge ye. And then in 529, it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. When we're out sharing the gospel, somebody says, well, You can't be doing that. I say, Well, why not? What law have I broken? Well, you're soliciting. Oh, I didn't. I'm not selling anything. I'm just telling somebody about the Lord. Some places it's against the law to hand a tract to somebody. We were we were uh, in in uh, Italy, La Madalena, Italy, and they said in order to share the gospel with somebody or to hand them a tract, you say, "I have something for you. May I give it to you?" As long as you do that, you can pass out all the literature you wanted to do. France was the same way. It was, it was very interesting how they put it in such a way that I have something for you. And most people go, oh, that's great. Thank you. And they'll take it right off the bat. Then you can share something with them. But you just can't walk up and say, here, you know, hand it to them. It's against the law. I'm thankful in the United States that uh, most places don't, arrest you for that they might get upset that you're passing out tracks because some places see the tracks thrown on the floor and it's litter and things like that it goes well we don't want people in here passing out tracks malls were doing that for a while people were handing out tracks and and they said no at the end of the day a lot of those things just end up on the floor and we have to sweep them up so we would rather you didn't or if you did we would like you to check in with the, with the office so how were they, they doing it? They were, they were trying to be honest about the presenting it. They weren't out and about to uh, appease men, but, but to appease God. And some people are very flattered when you come up to them and say, is it okay if we uh, pass out tracks? I know some, uh, some of the apartment buildings I think we visited, same th there, you check with the manager. Oh yeah, no problem. Or, you know, if, if you see a no soliciting, please don't you know, knock on the door. Or, same with uh, manufactured parks. Uh, closed communities, some of them want you to go visit. It's, it's important that if we do it right, you know, it's not against the law, but we're just respecting somebody's right. Somebody doesn't want a tract, I'm not going to force a tract down their throat. But others that are willing to, to accept that, it's, it's important. So they were, they were also out, as, as they were presenting here, it says, uh, we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but with God, which trieth our hearts. So God knows when we're passing out a tract, what's on our heart? Most of the time it's fear going, Lord, should I give this tract to that person? Or, or can I just give it to them and just move on? Sometimes standing in a grocery line when there's a bunch of people behind you is not the time to be trying to witness to somebody, but you hand them a tract and move on. Say thank you very much for helping with this. Or 
let the Lord lead and direct. So that's, it's, it's very good for us to understand which tries our hearts. He knows what's there. We're not trying to uh, be somebody better. And then it, it's interesting when we think of, of verse 5, it says, For neither at any time use we flattering words, as we know, nor as a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. And it's, I had to read that several times. goes, why would he say that at the very end? You know, it's a, a, an appeal to the Lord, you know, knowing that, that he's, he's kind of putting his stamp of approval on, on this. You know, God is a witness for us. But as he was going through, they weren't using flattering words. And it's amazing. You know, I, I've listened to some of these preachers that got a lot of letters behind their names or the, what is it, the Reformed theology ones. They, they have all these flattering words out there that explain nothing, really, when you, when you think about them. And sometimes they're pretty good if you want to put them in a philosophy class. But they, they, were, they were not trying to cover up anything that was, was making it so that I'm not after what anything of yours because in the next verse he's going to point out that we're not here to be a burden to you I love it when our missionaries come they don't expect a love offering and it's to me I've run, run into people that speak for a living that go to, from church to church and if they come to a church they expect a certain offering to be given to them they expect to be paid for their time rather than most of the evangelists that we know and missionaries they're living by faith knowing okay if they take a love offering that's fine if they don't take a love offering that's fine too Lord you're going to take care of us I'm thankful for speakers like that that live by faith that trust the Lord to provide their means not to come in and and preach as a well I'm going to make some money doing this you know there's a few of them out there that that's literally how they present themselves you will give me this amount of money before I even open my Bible or before I even think about coming there or oh by the way I want you to set us up in this hotel I want a flight on this plane uh, da, 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 da. give me this whole list of you will do it this way or you won't have me there to me, those are the kind of people that should just stay as far away from us as possible. And, and, and it's not to take advantage of them. That's what the Apostle Paul pointed out. He said, I'm not here to take advantage of you people. I'm here to present a plain, simple gospel. And they knew that what they were hearing was the truth. They knew that God had brought them there. And, you know, it says, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 2.17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The Apostle Paul, as he was presenting this, was presenting it with as much truth as possible, with as much honesty as possible, with telling them, I don't expect you to, to set me up. In fact, most of the time he was repairing tents. And that was the only burden that he put on him. He goes, uh, maybe could you set me up with a few people that need some tents mended? Uh, that might be the only burden he, he planned on putting on them. It also was a good way of networking and finding out who he needed. But, you know, it's, it, it's right to, on occasions, to appeal to God for the truth of what they need to say. In other words, as it says here, God is the witness. 
In other words, not making an oath, but he's pointing out that I'm presenting what God wants me to present, and he's there. And we should always live in a way that to make it that we can appeal to, to the Lord. In other words, present him carefully. So in the last few seconds before, uh, before I get to verse 6, it says, how might a person take advantage of people through a ministry? Anybody got a thought? How might they take advantage? Lynn? Like you just mentioned, expecting favor. Yes, expecting favor. You know, or, or oh, by the way, um, I, I'm doing a book signing in the area. Could you have your people come by and, you know, buy my book? Or something like that. The other, any anybody else? Any other thought of how they might take advantage? Lisa? Yes, using them to build their own kingdom. Favorite one was in the 80s. Uh, Amway was a good one. Uh, some of those pyramid schemes. Hey, go to your church and see if you can talk these people into buying my product. That was, And they were advocating that right up front. They weren't being deceitful about it. It goes, oh yeah, great network. Set yourself up financially with these people. That, that's not a good way to do things. You know, we, We've had people say, hey, you know, are any of your people in your church interested in uh, nope we don't do that if you want to talk to them oh can we have one of your directories no <laughs> that's the other one yeah it's 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 important anybody else uh, Stephanie yeah yeah a lot of people you know use it as an excuse to get out of something you know but you, Chris that's exactly what I was I've seen a pastor just move in and didn't ask for a lot of money. That really wasn't the idea. It was more of a found himself a niche, a sweet spot. Yep. And just kind of used the people and half fed them and was a bad example and played on the side and just had oh. a good time and pretended that he was I really care about you folks. And because it was better than what they had, the less discerning folks were duped. Oh. You would see yep. it as, as mature people would come in, they would catch on and they would leave. Right, and, and it's yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. So yeah, it's just the opposite, really, of that. You can, you can manipulate people in multiple ways. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad. Like you say, build my own kingdom. Uh, just give them just enough. Some uh, I, I've I've heard them called hobby churches. They might have a very good lucrative business on the side, but they teach Sunday school or uh, uh, preach on 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 the side, so to speak. You know, so like you say, they give a half-baked, half, you know, water down the gospel, very little. People just barely get, get by on the gospel. And when somebody does come by that preaches the gospel, it, all of a sudden, are we missing out on something? Thankfully, the Lord will ferret those people out and make it in such a way that they'll not want to do that. So... As we look into this and, and, and close, because we're gonna we'll we'll do verse six and then get into into the next segment of it. But how do they how do people detect that? And what should they do when that when that starts happening? Because people go, well, no, you don't, you know, a, a vote of confidence. I've heard churches take that a vote of confidence for somebody, and it's it's a very dangerous crowd, but it's one that. If the person's not feeding properly, 
not taking care of their flock, then they don't need to be there. And it's like somehow you wish that those that started teaching wrong behind this pulpit somehow would be vaporized and go away. <laughs> but God knows how to do that. I think he wants people to be discerning. And it's so important that we're understanding of that. And thank you for, the, for just being able to realize that in our lives. And so next week, we will look at verse 6 as we go in, in, into there. And, you know, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. So it kind of falls into what we just mentioned here. And we'll look at the manner in which they presented their, the, their ministry. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the truths that we see in your word and the examples that are there. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit guides and directs in each of our lives. And Father, as we review through how the Thessalonians were challenged by all that's going on about them with the Apostle Paul being called an imposter and being called that he was a liar. We're seeing the very same thing today. And I pray, Father, that your word will continue to go forth. You'll strengthen each and every believer that as we need to take a stand, that we will take a stand, realizing that we could be persecuted for our beliefs. But, Father, we know that you'll take care of each and every one of us when we stand for you. And, Father, we can be thankful that we'll glorify you in all that we do. And we do ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.